Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. My guest today is Eliza Hitman, uh, whose film today, and we're going to put this up a few hours before, uh, Beach Rats, is premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in U.S. competition. Eliza's um, first feature, It Felt Like Love, premiered at Sundance. Was that... 2013. 2013, Uh which is a wonderful, wonderful film. And Eliza's back this year with Beach Rats, which is, I'll admit, I saw a sneak preview. It's very good as well. Um, Thank you. Just right off the bat, that you, I I imagine like a lot of people, you've just kind of finished this film, right? Like, and so you're this whirlwind of just finishing. I know you just showed it to your cast, and now there's this moment where it like at Sundance, it gets put out into the world. It's like a very unique process. Is that, having done it before with It Felt Like Love, is that, is it, is that nerve-wracking? Is it just excitement? Is it, what is it? Um, I would say it's pretty terrifying. Um, and maybe even more terrifying the second time mm-hmm. than the first time. Really? Yes. Because is it the first time it's like I it's had, such an amazing it's such an amazing thing that you got in uh-huh. and you felt like oh my like I'm already at the dream the level. The expectations are much higher, um, especially like personal expectations, I would say. And um, I think uh, both films were made on an incredibly short timeline, which is exciting and thrilling, but also you feel like some things were compromised, like we didn't have as much time and sound as we would have liked, mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like very thrilling to sort of make something and, and release it mm-hmm. kind of instantly. So, like I said, I mean, I, I'm not alone in this. It felt like love is, is, is just this wonderful, wonderful film, and a lot of people, I think, right out of um, Sundance that first year, and then when the film came out, almost like a, like a year or so later, mm-hmm. um, it, it was very easy to see um, that you had a very, not only just a very clear point of view, but that um, just this wonderful way of visually telling a story. And I, it, um, I'm just wondering, and I want to talk about the process of getting beach rats, but being recognized as that kind of talent, I imagine you're taking meetings, you're out there, but there's this process of what's next. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, and like I said, I know this, what's next is obviously beach rats, but I'm wondering, what's that process like of suddenly, like here's someone that's new, that's got talent, and there's TVs, there's bigger movies, you went and you went and made another indie. What is that, what is that like? Um, I think that that sort of murky period between films is very challenging because on the one hand I made a film that was a festival success Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a box office success and it didn't have cast so I wasn't attracting a certain type of cast Mm -hmm. that would want to like I think be in the next film and um, I, you know, started writing scripts and showed them maybe preemptively to people. And I don't know, it's a very challenging moment where you're wondering like what people are looking for Mm -hmm. from you. And you may, you know, it felt like love was a very intimate process. You know, I just had a DP, it was Sean Porter, and it felt like love and a really small crew, I would say. The smallest crew imaginable. We didn't even have ACs. Um, 
So I think I was a little bit lost for a period in terms of like what I was supposed to be working on. And I sort of just decided to go back to the same areas and explore the same landscape and explore the same kind of world, but maybe on a slightly bigger canvas. And that and Beach Rats really is this wonderful like companion to it felt like love. It's like it's and it is it is a little bigger and you're painting on a bigger canvas, but uh -huh. it is still that world. It's still the same world. You did not write this to become a blockbuster no. or to attract Ryan no. Gosling because I mean it, it's, uh -huh. it, it's still dealing with. And I, I want to talk about that, but I'm curious though, was there an element in terms of like now this is going to be my career? I'm going to be a filmmaker. Was there also an element of possibly thinking about doing some television or doing something that wasn't maybe as challenging indie in terms mm -hmm. of content? Um, you know, the TV world has only sort of recently opened up to me, right. um, but those opportunities weren't presented okay. to me, to be honest. Okay. Um, I, and that's why I sort of decided to write another script in the same world and in the same family as it felt like love, not knowing if I was going to have a bigger budget or not knowing if I was going to have more support and just really thinking about, you know, wanting to make something and how to support myself and kind of enabling myself to get it made versus, you know, assuming that I was going to have all these resources to work with. And it is still a small film. It's but, a small film. But it it's probably the smallest in the competition. But it, 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 but it's not you and Sean on a beach. No. Like like uh -huh. it felt like love, uh -huh. uh, waiting for waiting for that late gray light, which mm -hmm. was so wonderful in that movie. Um, was because once again, a lot of us have been anticipating you, you making another feature in mm -hmm. the future, and I, I'm sure there's other people in the industry that have been as well. How hard was it? I mean, I noticed that you got. Some help from some nonprofits like Cinereach, uh -huh. and I know that the uh, Sundance and the Institute have yes. helped you out in some ways. But that also seems those to were the two worlds that really welcomed me and supported me. Um, Cinereach has an incredible fellowship program, mm -hmm. and they take in a handful of filmmakers who are in this kind of unknown territory of what they want to do next mm -hmm. and they try and support the filmmaker versus pushing and forcing a development process mm -hmm. so uh in this fellowship program i workshopped several project ideas um, and then through that fellowship program i wrote the script for beach rats and then it was accepted into the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, and I think that they were in this moment where they were realizing that filmmakers really needed help mm -hmm. between number one and number two. And that's really kind of what I'm getting at, uh -huh. is, is that I think for a while a lot of us have this expectation of like the fact that like an indie wire, the fact that like you know all the indie distributors instantly know Eliza Hitman and want to see. I think our assumption is is that if it's, you want if you want to bang out a second. If, uh, you know, maybe it felt like love, but like the notch up, uh -huh. that that's something that would be a no-brainer. Uh -huh. And I think what I, that's really kind of what I'm getting at. It really I think feels, it was a challenging yeah. road. And I got swept up into yeah. academia yeah. and I began teaching. Are you and teaching kids how to make films now? I, I teach college. Okay. They're uh -huh. kids. They're kids. <laughs> They're kids. Um, I, I'm a full-time professor at Pratt. So I was juggling 
you know, a full-time job. And Do you find, are, are they doing creative projects with you? Yes. Do you find, because I used to teach too, do you find that sometimes they become like fuel, like entering their creative energy and their kind of, um, their excitement about making stuff is, although it's time consuming, mm -hmm. if you have a family, do you find that it is this kind of nice, teaching's a nice compliment? Obviously, the ideal is to not work and right. to just be making you films, but, uh, that, that, but that they become a nice, a I nice think, comp compliment to each yeah, other. Yeah, I think it is. Like, I had a, uh, a young woman in a class last semester, and she wrote this beautiful, like, artist statement for a movie that she wanted to make that mm -hmm. was all about, like, female skateboarders and mm -hmm. how she just wants to see more movies about, like, young women. And it reconnected me, to, in a way, to my own sort of first impulses in making film, which was to show the relationship between women on screen in a way that was more truthful and, you know, heart-wrenching than, you know, usually depicted. Um, so in a way, it keeps me connected to, like, contemporary issues that affect them. And you, you get know? to hear, and you get to hear how the kids are talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and it's a good reminder for me mm -hmm. of you know my own kind of core values because right. sometimes it's easy to get a little lost in thinking about what the industry is looking for and expecting. Mm -hmm. um, so, beach rats. There's a few things here um, that instantly kind of stood out to me, um, but one. And it's one of the things that I loved about it, I felt like love, is once again you're in this Brooklyn that I feel like in film Brooklyn often gets reduced to um, gentrified brownstones mm -hmm. and like, you know, the danger zone of ghettos. Like mm -hmm. it's like it's either a war zone or like right. where mm -hmm. the Sex and the City people decide to go buy a mm -hmm. brownstone. And, and it felt like love, it, it, there's this, this this working class Brooklyn and, and, this, and in this world, um, it becomes, is it, is it all, what air, is it Sheepheads Bay? Is it Coney Island? What is it? It's is, a cluster of neighborhoods yeah. along the water. It's a little bit Gravesend. The park is in Manhattan Beach. You know, I, I, it's sort of unspecified in the yeah. film, actually. But it also uh -huh. but it has a very strong sense of place. Yes, yeah. Sometimes those places, I think, sometimes it's like uh, there's, there's like the very Russian area. Uh -huh. like, uh -huh. you, I can see that the, you kinda... I think that the areas along the water kind of mm -hmm. flow into each other. Mm -hmm you know, in a way, and I didn't pick one because you would sort of travel all of them if you lived there. And what, is that a place, I, I, mean, I think you have some roots in general. And, and I grew up of, in Brooklyn. You grew up in Brooklyn, uh -huh. kind I'm, of the east south side? I grew like. up um, in a neighborhood called Flatbush. Okay, right. um, And, you know, I went to Edward R. Murrow High School, which is like a massive communication arts high school, right. public high school that's, you know, on Avenue M. So most of my friends growing up would have been from those areas. Um, and so what is it about, because this is now your second film, so we're right, seeing a trend, like right. going back in young people. I mean, there's also, there's also a lot of sexual identity, which is carried over from Felt Like Love, too. But in terms of location, what is it about kind of people coming of age in, 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 the, in, in, these areas. in this area? Well, I, I went to graduate school for film um, at CalArts, and there's a lot of incredible like landscape filmmakers mm -hmm. at CalArts, James Benning, Leanne Schmidt, and um, you know Tom Anderson, who teaches this class on like Los Angeles and film, and really looking at the way a city is represented mm -hmm. through cinema. 
Um, and while all of the kind of students were mostly international and they would go home to make these thesis films, which were like very exotic and people were shooting in Kashmir, and people were shooting in Thailand, and people were shooting all over the world. And it's like, oh, all I have is like Brooklyn. <laughs> and it forced me to sort of go back and look at Brooklyn in a different way. Um, and since so much of it was gentrifying and I, you know, I lived in Williamsburg for five minutes in 2001 and just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in with like the kind of waves of postgraduate kids who were coming from liberal arts schools and art schools. And I just never have felt totally comfortable in that sort of gentrifying world. Sure. Um, so I, you know, sort of took the subway out and just kept you know, kind of roaming through these neighborhoods and landscapes mm -hmm. that for me felt compelling, you know, and underrepresented, I guess, on film. Um, so when I was thinking about It Felt Like Love, it was really, you know, thinking about, you know, the bus that I took to the beach, mm -hmm. which goes up Flatbush Avenue, which used to be called the Green Line and now has another name, you know, and just, you know, small moments from my own adolescence. So in the sense, in the sense, seeing the importance of landscape and place and mm -hmm. storytelling, mm -hmm. and then realizing coming home and realizing, if I'm going to set my stories here, like this is a landscape that I know I need to be, yeah, change your thinking of in terms. Of and terms of, you know, my the neighborhood my parents live in and mm -hmm. I live in has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's for me about you know thinking about not only in terms of like landscape, but also in terms of like gentrification and like how, you know, we kind of keep isolating certain classes right. of people, right. you know, and what is that effect of like isolating, you know, a group within a very progressive city. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that I think, you know, I think for me there is much about the relationship between sexuality and class as they are about. So there is a connection. So there is that, mm -hmm. because this story also has a, it's kind of a different side. I don't want to summarize this, but it felt like love to me was a, a girl who was feeling a lot of sexual pressure, mm -hmm. largely mm -hmm. um, of a way of being, feeling older, fitting in, mm -hmm. and maybe probably not being ready for, you know, it's mm -hmm. not being about sexual desire, but mm -hmm. being about forced into things mm -hmm. that she's not ready for. Mm -hmm. and, and this film is, is similar. Dealing, similar, similar, but in terms of the expectations yeah. that are placed on a young 20-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so for you, there is this real connection about that space and class, because mm -hmm. it's like, uh, the potential of sex being a wonderful thing is, is present in your films, but often there it's associated with some tension and like violence. A, yeah, an, ex, an expression of like it becomes this um, way of externalizing kind of like the internal conflict that's going on with these characters because it's never it doesn't it's not quite right. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Did I get that right? Yes. But all right. Uh, <laughs> the um, I don't, we should probably not. We should leave this character alone for this point. Let people see the movie. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I will say, um, so it, the star is Harris Dickinson. Dickinson, he's wonderful, uh -huh. and uh, sixteen, right? I just assume it's super it's, sixteen millimeter. Yeah, and it has this wonderful palette. It has this wonderful, and also just the the the, the texture of the film 
gives this world like this, I don't even know how to describe it. Timelessness it, yeah, was time. sort of what we were hoping to achieve and it's a different cinematographer. And what is her, how do we pronounce her name? Her name is Helene Louvert. And I realized I went through her IMD page. Mm -hmm. The only one that I had seen of hers before was The Wonders, mm -hmm. I'm realizing. Mm -hmm. Wow, she's wonderful. She's a phenomenal, hardworking, inspiring woman. I just noticed, based on her name and her other credits, is, is, is she largely uh, working in, in France? She's based in Paris. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. And has worked, you know, all over the world for, you know, a number of years. She's she shot over sixty-five features. Yeah, no, I just I was realizing I just haven't seen any of them. So yeah, I was like, at first I was like, who the heck is this person? And I was oh, it's just someone I haven't seen uh -huh. any movies before. Uh -huh. um, so what when you were sitting down with her, what was that conversation of where you wanted to start? Was it timelessness? That idea of shooting for 16 was, was kind of a no-brainer? I think the process for me always begins with like a generative image. Mm -hmm. For It felt like love. I was looking at a Renneke Dykstra photo of a girl on the beach at Coney Island in a one-piece bathing suit. Mm -hmm. And it had that palette that you're talking about. It wasn't like a warm, summer, beachy kind of feeling. It was gloomy. Mm -hmm. um, and then for beach rats, it was uh, an, an image of a guy that I had appropriated from Facebook mm -hmm. from a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Garretson Beach, where the boys are called beach rats. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a neighborhood slang term for a certain kind of guy who grows up on the water and has like kind of a, you know, a tough exterior, but is, you know, kind of you know, volatile and fragile. Mm -hmm. And this image was a guy standing in a basement taking a selfie and it looked like he, you know, and his shirt was off and his hat was on and it looked like he was sort of hiding his identity and it looked like he was about to drop his gym shorts and take a dick pic. Mm -hmm. And he was in this basement. And that was like the character reference, sort of generative image for the film. Mm -hmm. And it had this sort of tension between being hyper-masculine and homoerotic. Um, and he was hiding something and he was in this basement that had like fluorescent tubing lighting and that was really the first thing that I showed her. I said, this is the character. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from there, you know, we started looking at other kinds of images. We started looking at um, uh, Barbara Crane photography and she took a lot of like Polaroids in Chicago in the 80s and they had like images of segmented like body parts and like people hanging out in like a sweaty summer environment with like a hand in a back pocket and kind of sexy kind of interesting composition and they all had a frontal light like a flashlight mm -hmm. and we kept talking about this idea of having like a frontal sort of light for the film actually and there are like still in Brooklyn a lot of cruising spots along mm -hmm. the water and we sat in these dark areas and sort of watched this cruising happening in total darkness. And which kind of in, in that world that you kind of captured also in the cruising but also mm -hmm. just some of the, mm -hmm. the, the, the more public spaces mm -hmm. at, at night. Um, it, that kind of frontal light it kind of strikes me is that you, it's at night you kind of have those one sources, like, mm -hmm. and it's like you mm -hmm. kind of move in and out of mm -hmm. being under street lights mm -hmm. or lights from mm -hmm. from the amusement park, and so you can kind of build off that. Whereas I like to work very light and be very light on my feet when mm -hmm. I shoot, and I'm very patient about, mm -hmm. you know, letting people set up these huge, you know, setups, and so really, 
the majority of the film outdoors at night was just a little LED on a, on a stick that the gaffer held. To just kind of simulate whatever the whatever that light was. It's that, unmotivated. Yeah, it's unmotivated. It's totally unmotivated. Mm -hmm. And while we were prepping the film and doing all this location scouting, you know, uh, you know, my producers were standing around nervously, like, oh, you know, you could have like cell phone lights <laughs> and this and that, and we're like. There will be no simulation of the moon. Mm -hmm. There will be no simulation of street lights. Mm -hmm. You know, why? Because it's, it's cinema and you don't have to justify everything. Right. Not all movement has to be motivated, not all light has to be motivated. Right. So that we kind of developed this very simple strategy that in a way thematically related to the title because we thought of it as being like a light shining on like kind of an animal in the dark. And that was I sort of that. thematically the justification for the visual strategy. And I don't think people realize, and, and I, when they see your film, they will, is, is how flexible and how fast these film stocks have gotten. Because what you're describing, I think most people would uh -huh. assume, oh, well, you can only do that with a, a very light-sensitive uh -huh. new digital uh -huh. camera. Well, we didn't want a light-sensitive uh, digital camera. Yeah, yeah. I was fighting that idea. <laughs> but the fact that you could do this and shoot on film, mm -hmm. I don't think people realize mm -hmm. that film stocks have mm -hmm. Have have gotten well. That we, you know, we did a test. Mm -hmm. We went out with I'm the sure. stock, <laughs> and you know, yeah. we we tested the brightness mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. LED and the color mm -hmm. and all of that. And I really wanted to be able to sort of shape the landscape through the sound mm -hmm. versus you know shaping the environment through the light. The score, or the I don't know, score. Some of it I think is original, but I think some of it is stuff that you, you mm -hmm. might have. Is wonderfully integrated into that. Almost, I don't even. I want to almost. I want to hear the tracks individually because mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. felt to me like almost like there was sounds of water and the music or something mm -hmm. like that. Or maybe that's just the way that you had mixed. I it. think it's the layers. It, yeah, it's uh -huh. it's, it's a, layered. But that was also a huge part of this. Mm -hmm. Is this music becomes like incredibly integrated into the soundtrack. I know that sounds ridiculous. Of course, mm -hmm. it was integrated into the soundtrack. But whatever in your sound design mm -hmm. is that? What, could you talk about? I think I, I'm, I'm sort of lucky in that I have had a really strong um, editorial collaborator mm -hmm. and his name is Scott Cummings and he is a, very much a filmmaker in his own yeah, right. I've he, seen he a short of his Buffalo recent. Juggalos. That's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, and he's been the most consistent collaborator um, and he has been very... Um, collaborative in terms of bringing a lot of sound ideas into the edit mm -hmm. early in the process. And then Chris Foster, who did the mix, you know, built upon and really finessed and refined those ideas. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're really thinking about shaping the darkness mm -hmm. and giving the beach like almost like a character, treating the beach like a character that had a soundscape and wanting it to have this sort of tension of fear but not go too far into horror. Are these you also, know? Yeah, no, no, mm -hmm. oh, absolutely, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And just trying to finding that balance and always looking for ways to kind of elevate things in a similar way to it felt like love where like the sound of the ocean wasn't necessarily naturalistic it was you know it was enhanced by like kind of a rumble and kind of enhancing sounds of nature essentially and making sure that there were always like cicadas in the background um, and then he actually found 
I have to I had to reconnect with him because it's all a blur. But he found the 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 music producer who composed the kind of introductory, you know, the sort of thematic music that plays throughout the film. But most of those tracks are things that were already produced and you guys brought in. Is that is yeah? That, is that kind we of... found um, he found Scott found mm-hmm. um, that track. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of fit on perfectly. I don't mm-hmm. know if I was totally intending on having a kind of traditional score, mm-hmm. but it sort of lifted the movie and created. I think it, we, what we were thinking about, because he's a um, Nick Leon is his name. He's like a rap kind of music producer. He's like 19 mm-hmm. and he lives in Miami. And that sort of tension between having these like kind of ethereal, melodic mm-hmm. sort of tunes with this rap kind of felt like the same polarity that we're playing with in the film. Mm-hmm. So, because I noticed mm-hmm. like, in, in the credits about mm-hmm. seven, eight of the tracks were from, from him. From him. Uh-huh. How much of that was stuff he had done before or is that stuff that you had him? Some of it was, it was stuff he had done before that we then had him expand. And repurpose to fit the, uh-huh. to fit the, to fit the film. To take the essence of it, but mm-hmm. then to mm-hmm. almost like score mm-hmm. it to and the And then score to the film. Oh. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Thank you. Um, oh, one last question. In terms of the way you shoot, <laughs> I love the way you tell stories, but sometimes I feel like the way I describe it, it sounds like the way that a lot of people are just kind of like handheld and going, and that's not... There's not no, a lot of handheld yeah, in it this seems very, but it, it, has it, this it felt theory. like, love, we didn't have anybody to set up the tripod. So <laughs> within the first two days of shooting, we threw it away. But and it, with this film, it's more of a mix of being, you know, both on an easy rig and, you know, locked down on a tripod. But it has a very intentionality. So uh-huh. even when it becomes like elliptical mm-hmm. or there's this movement with it, that um, I'm, a, I'm a sense, and, and oftentimes, sometimes you're also cutting things off or they're, they're, there's very specific mm-hmm. frames where we're only seeing a portion. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming... How much of it is you it, have a plan going in and you leave yourself open to to what's going on the set? Or how much of this is you... This film was so tightly scheduled that we just shot the shot list, yeah. I have to say. I didn't have the room or the freedom, like it felt like mm-hmm. love, to kind of explore more, even though it felt like love was it's almost a freedom. It's almost a freedom of like a no budget, right? Uh-huh. Is that your luxury is time and you're not... And you're not moving all of the pieces around and, you know, you only have one van and blah, 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 blah. Um, But I think that for me, and it goes, it comes back to the writing process, you know, there are different types of scenes within the script. You know, there are scenes that are kind of there to just advance and propel the narrative forward. Mm -hmm. And then there are scenes that are more tonal and atmospheric, Mm -hmm. you know, and those scenes have a different approach to shooting them. And if every scene was like that, I think, you know, it would be boring. Right. So I think that there's just kind of different approaches to different scenes. And then, you know, as a director, you have to know where to fight for more time. Right. You know, so like the store, the, the scenes in the store, when he goes to visit her at work, those are just two shots. Those are, yes, yeah. that's, that's a scene that's there to advance the narrative versus the barber shop 
which we wanted to sort of find things that were more textural and go and use sound to sort of bridge all of these different kinds of shots. Kind of giving us a real sense of a the place, place and, 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 the, and the texture. And, and the feeling of what yeah. it's like to have your head shaved. Yeah. And bringing the audience closer to the character and closer to the feeling, I guess. Um, and I think that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I always, I think that of, of the, like the visual approach as being sort of combination of like sort of poetic kind of realism, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because the film is very sort of, I think, grounded in kind of a classical realism, mm -hmm. even though we have these sort of moments. Right. Well, it's a wonderful film. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank best you for interviewing me. And best of luck. To, well, this will go up when, you know, probably when you're listening to this, your film will have just premiered on Monday. And I guarantee it'll be a wonderful success for you. Thank you. Thank you.